right, well, have, have anybody, has anybody here besides me ever, like, watched one of those YouTube videos to learn how to do something that you just don't, yeah, too cheap maybe to ask somebody else to do? Just yesterday, yeah. So, um, recently I watched a YouTube video because I knew it can't be that hard to change the, the blinker, no, the brake light on my Toyota, right? But, but it couldn't be that tough, right? But, but you know, I'm like, fine, I'll, I'm too cheap or maybe embarrassed, or something, fragile masculinity. I don't know what it is, but I didn't want to go and, you know, go to the mechanic for just something that simple. I don't want to go into the shop or even AutoZone, where they're very nice about not making you feel stupid. But I, I turned to YouTube, um, and it wasn't too bad. You just watch the YouTube video, and it's like, oh, okay. I just unscrew this panel right here, stick my hand around this deal, and it looks like I won't get electrocuted. That's good. Uh, I turn the bulb, one turn to the left, and... The bulb comes out, right? Anybody ever do this before to learn how to do something that you don't know how to do? Okay, wonderful. Um, by the way, I'm really grateful. Thank God for you too, because the way we would work on cars when I was in college, uh, the way we did it was a little different. Um, we would go to the junkyard where uh, you pull your part. Been to one of those before? You go into the junkyard and it's not all disassembled. You go in, find the car like your car, you take it out, um, which was great, you know because it would help us know how the thing worked, right? How to take it off, how to put it back on. It was very educational, because um, we didn't have YouTube, so we would practice on the cars in the junkyard, and if something broke, you know, nobody would usually get too upset with us. Um, that went a little too far, though, because one day, my roommate Steve, um, I don't know if the fact he was from Nebraska is a correlation for the idea that he had, and not being a great idea, but... Um, uh, he had an 84 Accord, I had an 82 Accord, but, but he had a, a crack in his windshield and he didn't want to you know, pay for a new one. He wanted to figure out how to take one out of a junker and put it on his car. So we go to the junkyard and I was not anywhere close to him at the time, thank God. But he you know, cut around all the seam of the windshield on the junker car that looked pretty like a good windshield. He thought, wow, this is going well, but then it just wouldn't, it wouldn't come out. And again, I told you he was from Nebraska, right? Um, you can be mad at me later if you're from Nebraska. But, but uh, so he decided to get it out, he would pry it a little bit with a crowbar. Yeah, um, guess how that ended? <laughs> not well, not well. Uh, it shattered into a gazillion pieces. He was lucky to only be pulling little glass shards out of his cheeks and arms and maybe not an eyeball. So, um, so... Thank God for YouTube, right? Where you can learn how to do this stuff. It's very helpful. Um, Elijah, what was it's fathered by YouTube? Yeah, if we, we don't know how to do stuff, we just fathered by YouTube. We, if our dad didn't teach us or we didn't know, it's a good way to go, right? Now, how many of you have not known how to do something, and so you've gone and Googled it or gone to YouTube to learn how to do something? Anybody else? Okay, there's a few of us here. Turn to somebody nearby you and just let them know what was it that you tuned into YouTube to figure out to do that you didn't know how to do and just talk amongst yourselves for a couple minutes. Go right ahead. No, really, go right ahead. Uh, give me some, give me some. What, uh, what kinds of things? Feed me some answers out here over... How to what? How to give a cat a pill. How to give a cat 
a pill so it stays down. That's not a bad idea, see? I wouldn't have thought of it. I just opened it up and shoved it in. You are much smarter than me. Yeah, and they'd spit it out. That happened with our dog. That's, I didn't think of that. How about over here? Anybody over here? Yes, Will. Sprinkler timers. Oh, my goodness. Can I say... Amen to that, right? I think they make it complicated, so, you know, you got to pay somebody to come out and do it, right? Or buy a new timer. Or just get rid of it, right? Yeah. Yes, Mona. Oh, so fixing a windshield with a tiny crack with clear nail polish, and you figure that out on YouTube and Google. I like that. That's great. Anybody else over here? Something you've learned to do on YouTube? Hydro... Hydro... Ponics, water, ponds? What? Ponics? Plants. Why wouldn't it be hydroplantic? Plants? Yeah, no? Is that water? Gar- some kind of gardening, right? That's only because somebody told me that already. <laughs> Thank you. There you go. So, um, how many of you are just glad? Yeah, like when we don't know how to do something, isn't it nice that there's an expert that we can tune into or a how to guide that we can Google or hit up on YouTube? Anybody besides me? I'm, I'm grateful for this stuff, right? And I, and I think of this um, in that Scripture is a huge gift to us in a similar way because, especially in the Gospels, as followers of Jesus, when we want to know how to do something or to learn how to do something, we can just flip right to the pages of Scripture and look and see if maybe Jesus did it, right? We're followers of Jesus as Christians, And so we could actually kind of look at the Gospels and the things that Jesus did as some how-to instructionals, at least to get us started, right? We we, we might think, you know, hey, you know what? I want to learn to live like Jesus invited me to live. So I'm going to turn to the Gospels, especially Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Um, And when I see Jesus demonstrate a way to do something, what I want to do is, is imitate what he did. I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to learn by doing what he did. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote this instruction in 1 Corinthians 11, and he wrote it to a church of followers of Jesus, and he said this to them. He said, you are to imitate me just as I imitate Christ. To the believers in Ephesus, Paul said it this way, Ephesians 5, he said, therefore, be imitators, imitators of God as beloved children, walking love, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. Imitate God, imitate Christ. See, it's a very effective way for us to learn how to do something. Now, Pastor Rich Nathan, who's a brilliant teacher on this stuff, and and I've learned a lot from, and some ideas today you'll hear that that I learned from him. Um, He says this, I love this quote, uh, as a follower of Jesus is what he's talking about, and here's what he says. He says, that's what it means to be a follower of the way of Jesus. I get to do what Jesus did, not by trying harder or thinking positively, but by relying on the fact that the Holy Spirit is bringing the presence and power of Jesus to bear in this situation. As followers of Jesus, we get to learn empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit from Jesus. 
Now, we've been in this series called Supernatural for some time, and in the last couple months, we've really focused in on the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit and looking at the unseen world around us and how it is that the Holy Spirit works through you and I, and the power of the Holy Spirit is available to every follower of Jesus. Now, early in this series, earlier in this series, we we spent some time looking at a passage that I want to read right here. In fact, I want us to read this passage out loud uh, because it was something outrageous that Jesus said to his followers, to his disciples, so by extension to you and me, um, out of John chapter 14. Let's read this on the screen out loud together, starting verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Come on, Jesus. That's (laughs) kind of you know, big, isn't it? That's like, really? I mean, have you read what Jesus did? We, We get to do greater things in his name? I mean, it almost seems ludicrous, like we better find a way to explain our way around it. And by the way, it doesn't mean, you have to take the whole thing in context. It doesn't mean just willy-nilly, whatever you ask, it's going to happen. He's talking specifically about some categories here. But even the idea in miracles and the filling of the Spirit that you and I get to do greater things than him, it's, it's wild. But not only did Jesus make that promise to his followers, he demonstrated it soon after Luke chapter 10, we read how Jesus sends out 72 disciples. They've been watching Jesus, learning from him, seeing him do the stuff, and he sends them out, and they do it too. Like, they watch Jesus heal people and cast out demons in his name, and they go out and do it as well. And, and when they do it in his name, they come back like, whoa, it worked. <laughs> it worked. They learned how to do it, to do the stuff, by following their rabbi, their teacher, our teacher, our rabbi, Jesus, and doing what disciples back then did with all rabbis. If you were a disciple of a rabbi, you watched and learned from them so you could do what they did. It's the same way for us. We watch, we learn from what Jesus did. He's our how-to instructor, even better than Google, even better than YouTube. Now, this is one way of looking at Scripture, especially the New Testament, especially the Gospels and the book of Acts, uh, that these are how-to guides that not only worked back then, but they work and they're supposed to instruct us as disciples of Jesus as well. See, the Bible is not a book of exceptions. Well, this was pretty cool and that happened. It was miraculous. But God doesn't do any of that stuff anymore. How many of you know that God doesn't change? So the stuff he did back then, he will still do today. He didn't just do miraculous things and convince us that the Bible's real and then shut it all down. See, those stories in Scripture are meant to be examples to encourage us as followers of Jesus that we can do the same things that Jesus did and that the people of God did because God still moves that way. 
And we learn how to do these greater things that Jesus promised by following the example, by imitating our teacher, our rabbi, Jesus. Now, you might ask, especially in light of today's topic of the message, um, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Jesus did some pretty cool things. Do you mean that you and I, followers of Jesus, could actually see greater things like, you know, people healed today? Yeah, we can. We can pray for healing, and sometimes, not always, right? But sometimes we do see people get healed. So I just want to show you kind of how this idea of following Jesus as our example, um, how it applies in the supernatural realm and in operating of the gifts of the Spirit, which is what we've been talking about the last month or so. And because we're focused in on healing, we'll just talk a little bit about how that works with following Jesus in, in healing this morning. Um, we, we in the series have gone through some passages about the gifts of the Spirit, um, and 1 Corinthians 12 lists off different gifts of the Spirit. And, and in verse 9, which is mid-passage of all these gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, uh, verse 9 reads, To another, the Holy Spirit here, gives faith, a gift of faith by the same Spirit. And here we go, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. Gifts of healing for you and me from the Holy Spirit. And by the way, just a quick note here, if you see that word right there, gifts, Paul uses plural gifts, not just a gift of healing. And some Bible teachers, and I think they're right about this, they say that the reason it's plural, gifts of healing, instead of just singular, is that there are various kinds of illnesses that gifts of healing need be, are needed for. So there's a mental illness, there's physical illness, there are spiritual illnesses, and so it makes sense that the word gifts is used because we need different kinds of healings for different kinds of illnesses. So let's say you, me, we're followers of Jesus, we're reading along in our Bible, we come to this passage that talks about all the gifts and that one lights up for us. We're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I wanna learn about healing. I don't know how to do healing, so I wanna learn about it. Well, good for us. There is a book the Bible, <laughs> there are the Gospels which show us how we can learn about operating in the gift of healing. So we go to our rabbi's training manual, the Gospels, we observe what Jesus did, and then we say, okay, I see that Jesus did that. He said we can do these things and greater things, so I, I want to do that. But by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit through me, I want to do that. And again, by the way, it's important that we remember that, that all the gifts, um, particularly the gift of healing, but all of the gifts are through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's nothing that you and I just kind of crank out and do. We can only see these things happen as the Holy Spirit does the empowering and works through us. That's why we need to be filled with the Spirit over and over because the Holy Spirit will fill us and work through us. So let's just look at one example. Now let's look at two this morning um, in the life of one of Jesus' disciples from back in that day, um, the Apostle Peter, one of the original disciples. In Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 32, we read this story. As Peter traveled about the country, uh, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. 
There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All of those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now, just a quick sideline here. Part of why the names of these cities and the names of the characters are given is that when these accounts were first written, if you heard the story and were like, that's too crazy to be true, they're like, oh, hey, go check it out, right? You could go to those cities. You could go and ask about this guy or maybe his ancestors if he was already gone. But you could find out that people would say, yeah, that wasn't just made up. That actually happened, right? These things actually happened. So Peter... <laughs> worked through the name of Jesus and saw this man healed. Well, how did he learn how to do this and what to even say? Glad you asked. Uh, If we look back at the Gospel of Mark, um, we we see in Mark chapter 2 where Peter, when he had started following Jesus early in his journey, he had seen Jesus do the same thing. There was a paralyzed man. He was also lying on a mat And Peter was there to watch what happened. Mark chapter 2, verse 11, Jesus looks at the paralyzed man, says to him this, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Now, just even that little thing right there. Compare that, what Jesus said, to what Peter prayed years later, where he says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, get up and roll up your mat. What's, what's amazing is we don't see, you know, a lot of religious circles. There's all kinds of incantations, you know. We, we don't see Peter show up with this, you know, special ritual or swinging a, 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 a bell f- full of smoke over the man. Um, he didn't pray a specifically designed prayer that just works for paralyzed people. Uh, Peter's prayer, if you can even call it that, it's more of a command or a commanding prayer, I guess, was pretty brief, pretty short. Jesus Christ heals you, get up. And you guys are pretty smart. So where do you think that Peter learned to pray that prayer? That simple, commanding prayer? I have to say, it looks like he probably learned to pray that from watching his rabbi, Jesus, and thought, okay, I know what to do. I'm going to try that in this situation. I'm going to try that. I'm just going to see what happens, right? And I want to make a simple point here. And it's this, um, so many times we just don't know how to pray because we try to make prayers for healing into something completely different. And I'll tell you that I have been guilty of this and just didn't know for many years. So I'm talking to, to myself that it was only been the last few years where I've known to pray for healing differently than how I grew up and through even lots of my ministry prayed for healing. See, we don't know how to pray for healings, most of us, don't know how to pray for healings or, or miracles. Rather than looking at the simple things that Jesus and the disciples did, and at least starting with that, we get caught up in all kinds of other ways of praying. In fact, lots of us, I think, and again, guilty on this one, I think often we, we pray the way Jesus tells us not to pray. Right? Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, he tells his followers, hey, when you pray, don't keep babbling on like pagans, for they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. And we kind of pray that way, like, ah, uh, right? And by the way, there's a lot more in that passage. But if someone 
If you've been around Christian circles at all, don't you agree that, that, that sometimes it's easy for us to fall into the trap of believing that God will only release a miracle through a lengthy prayer of ours, right? Like if I pray longer or harder or more intensely or with more words or find the right words, then maybe a healing miracle might happen. And that's not to say that sometimes those sorts of prayers aren't needed, right? Um, because sometimes, I mean, Jesus himself said uh, that some things take prayer and fasting. Some things take discernment to know how to pray. Sometimes it does take contending in prayer, persisting in prayer. There's actually a really great chapter um, in a book called Moving Mountains by John Eldridge that talks about what I would say is, you know, the next level of how to pray for healing. Like, Healing 101, what we're talking about today, is very direct, very simple. And if it doesn't work after a while, okay, hey, maybe here's some other things to explore and to try. Um, but the good news is we don't have to memorize a chapter on how to pray for healing for people. We can simply go to the Gospels, at least in a 101 kind of situation of praying for healing, because most of the examples that we see in Scripture when it comes to praying for healing, they're fairly short and I think that's worth noting. They're fairly short prayers. In fact, they, they simply um, do these things. They, it seems to me that they take authority in Jesus' name, that they speak to the condition. That's where the commanding part, which I think feels weird to us a lot of times. Like, that's just weird. What is that? But we just don't do it, even though we see it all over Scripture. Um, so they take authority in Jesus' name, they speak to the condition, and they command it to go. That's kind of a 101, simple, healing prayer, way to try it, way to learn it. Instead, in my own story, and maybe in some of your experiences as well, what, what I did is what a lot of Christians do when it comes to praying for healing, you know. For a long time, I kind of think I was negotiating with God. Like, I'm going to try to negotiate with God and see if he'll get, you know, if he'll do this, right? Um, you know what I mean? Anybody going to negotiate with God on, on why he needs to do this? Um, but praying for healing is not a negotiation with God. We're not trying to convince God to go and do something for us. He's a good God. He's a good father. He loves his children. He's not standing there waiting for us to press the right combination of buttons before he moves. We don't have to convince him. Um, I mean, I can think of times where I've prayed for people and people have prayed for me, you know, well-meaning prayers, and they're really just, it's very kind of them, they just want to make me feel better about whatever it is I'm suffering with, and they don't want me to feel let down if God doesn't show up, right? Um, which is nice, but it's not a prayer for healing. Um, it's not following the pattern that Jesus gave when it comes to praying for healing. I mean, I've had people pray things for me, um, with conditions I have that I would still love to be healed of. Uh, people might pray stuff like, oh Lord, your servant Doug is in need. He's done so much good for others. He, he labors constantly for the church. He's such a godly and holy person. All right, nobody has actually accused me of being holy in their prayers, but right, you get the point. Like people are trying to negotiate like, ah, if we can just build it up, right? See, we, when we pray for healing, we don't need to remind God of this recipient's worthiness or goodness because the truth is that, that apart from Christ, none of us deserves anything from God. Like, we can't earn a miracle or deserve it. 
Healings, when they happen, they are acts of pure grace given by God. Um, and when we pray for someone for healing, we don't need to tell God about you know, this lengthy medical diagnosis. God knows better than any doctor or physician what the condition is and what caused it. We don't need to go into that. We can keep it simple. Um, and we don't need to beg God either. Like, we don't need to beg God for healing. Like, like somehow God is Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, this stingy miser that, that we have to invoke their pity in order for us to, you know, get what we want since we're on our hands and knees just begging and begging. Like, God's not like that. We don't need to beg God. Um, and I think, again, this is something that I've done, often have done in my past when praying for healing. Um, we don't need to make excuses while we're praying. We don't need to make excuses for God just in case the person doesn't get healed, right? Um, you, you know, the, the idea like, uh, well, here's the deal. I'm going to pray for this person, so here's how I'm going to pray. You know, okay, the, the, the odds are low that this person that I'm praying for will actually get healed. So at least I want to I wanna help them with that letdown by praying something nice. Like, <laughs> right now, God, I pray that you would help them that, you know, even if they don't get healed, that they'll know, you know, a lot of people have bad backs. And grant them serenity and peace to accept this particular cross that they have to bear, right? Like... We don't need to make excuses for God or try to, you know, help people prepare for a letdown um, because those kinds of prayers, they rarely, probably never work. It just doesn't work. And wouldn't it be nice to have prayers that actually made a difference once in a while? That actually, you know, worked sometimes? And I think, and I wonder, if we looked at how Jesus did this, if we learned from the rabbi that we follow and look at his prayers, I think that we would notice a few things. And one of them is that Jesus' prayers for healing are completely unlike most of the prayers that we pray today. His prayers were simple and they were direct. And Jesus knew who he was talking to. He wasn't talking to Ebenezer Scrooge. He was talking to his father, his Abba, his, his daddy who affectionately loved him and he loved his father. Same for us. That's who we're talking to. And when we're confident of who God is and who we are to God, then maybe that simple prayer of command um, is something we could confidently pray be healed. Get up. Maybe that's what happens, right? And the result of us praying that, and if somebody gets healed, in the case of the, of the people in the Gospel of Mark, when the guy did get off his mat, is that it says people were amazed. They were amazed. And in that Acts 9 story where Peter prays the same thing, same situation, it says many people were converted which means that they, they believed in Jesus, the way of Jesus, and started following Jesus. That was the result. So my point, just even with that story there, is that, that in many ways, the Gospels can be uh, an instruction manual, but I don't want to make it that sterile. Um, but we can learn from watching what Jesus 
did, right? It's, it's like watching, you know, a YouTube video on how to do something that we don't know how to do. It's similar in that way. Now, I want to interject something and just kind of cover something that I know we talk about here frequently, um, because I don't want us to mistake that I'm saying, hey, just do it this way, and boom, it's going to happen every time. It doesn't. It doesn't. There is a lot of mystery in why God does or doesn't move or, or what's um, going on in a situation that we don't have time to even start trying to unpack right now. But here's the deal. If there was a formula for healing or anything for that matter, if there was a formula we go, if I just hit the check boxes, it's going to happen every time. How many of you know that if that formula was there, that it would pull us away from God's intention for you and me to be in relationship with him? Because I wouldn't need to depend on God and be in a relationship walking with him, hearing his voice anymore. I could just follow the checkbox, right? And so he wants us to walk with him. See, praying for healing is not about following a prescribed formula that produces a guaranteed results. So, on the other hand, while I'm saying there are things that that you can see Jesus do and go, okay, I'll try that. When I pray for healing, I'll try that. Why not try it, right? On the one hand, yes. And on the other hand, If you were to read through all the stories of healing of Jesus and try to find a formula, you'd be really confused. (laughs) I mean, Jesus does all kinds of different things in how he heals people. I mean, it's crazy. You read through it, and there's, like, if you're trying to mathematically figure this out so you can punch the buttons and get a formula, it would drive you crazy, right? He tells crippled people sometimes, hey, you stand up. Other times, he goes to someone that needs to be healed, and he touches them. Other times, they touch him, and they get healed, Um, probably my favorite, like, craziest story is where this blind guy, Jesus spits in the dirt and he makes mud and he rubs it in the guy's eyes. What? (laughs) Seriously? Uh, And it works. And it works. Here's, and other times, um, somebody gets healed because Jesus casts out a demon and then they're healed. I mean, it's all over the place, right? There's no... Formula, and that's why it's important for us to walk with God, to be able to listen for the voice of the Spirit to tell us how to pray or what might be going on or give us discernment into a situation to see if there is something else happening. So, on the one hand, right, we want to walk with God in all of this and listen for His voice. But for some of us, we go, I don't know how to do that. That's way down the road. I'm not praying for healing. Oh, I've got good news. There is still the Healing 101 course, which most of us are in and probably need to stay in. Even if we have that discernment and hearing God's voice thing, you do both, right? Because there is something to be said for imitating our rabbi. If we're followers of Jesus, we follow Jesus, we do what he did, especially, I think, as it comes to learning to pray for healing, it's a great way to even try, to just get started. Um... It's not a formula, there's no guarantees, but I mean, holy smokes, why not just try? What do we have to lose? Um, And what if it works? Maybe you've prayed for healing and gotten discouraged and you're just done asking. That's okay, I get it, I've been there, I have seasons in my life where I'm like, I rarely pray for healing because it's been a while since I've seen anything. But, 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 but what if 
the next time, it works. What if it works? Like, holy smokes, wouldn't that be amazing? What if we just keep trying to do what our rabbi did, imitating him as any disciple would have known to do, and that's how we maybe start to see those greater things that Jesus talked about that we read the passage earlier? What what if? What if? I want to give us another example here of Peter learning healing from Jesus. Um, He learned this from Jesus, and then I want to look at a few quick things about healing, and then we'll wrap up and be done. But here's, here's the story. Acts chapter 9, Peter learning how to heal from Jesus. Here's what he did, and then we'll back up and look at the story where he learned this. So Acts chapter 9, verse 39. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas made while she was still with him. I don't think she died of a weird last or a weird name, but it could be that. Wow, somebody have a grandma named Dorcas here? Did I just? All right, lucky she's got two names. We'll get to the other one in a second here. So, verse forty. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and he prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, "Tabitha." Get up. She opened her eyes. And seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand, helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Now, where did Peter learn to do that? Well, if we look at Mark chapter 5, we see a very similar story with very similar parallels um, where Peter learned to pray for someone who's apparently dead because he had seen Jesus do this. There was a synagogue ruler named Jairus and his young daughter, about 12 years old, had died and, and Jairus came to Jesus and after Jesus gets interrupted by another miracle happened on his way to the house, um, in verse, I wrote this down, in verse 35, Jesus is still speaking. Some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. They said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. Okay, now, we'll put this chart here on the the screen. There's a couple slides, but here, here is the raising of the little girl, Jairus' daughter, and the raising of Tabitha. Here in both situations, right? So, so the little girl had died from sickness, just like Tabitha, who Peter um, prayed for years later. Uh, in the story with Jesus and the little girl, the whole household is weeping. Um, in Tabitha's story, her friends are weeping. Um, and we get to this next part here while, where, where it says, he did in verse 37 of Mark, it says, Jesus did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother. And John's the brother of James. So he kind of... Shut them all out, right? So Jesus keeps most people out of the situation. Peter, remember it said there in Acts that he keeps every, he he like really learned from Jesus. He kicks them all out, right? (laughs) Y'all get out of here. And we'll come back and I want to mention something about why, what I think we learned from that um, piece there. Uh, In in the story, the little girl, her dad, Jairus, was the community benefactor. In Tabitha's story, she is the community benefactor. Um, In both stories, 
Uh, We turn to the Mark 5 here again. It says, after he had put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples, so Jesus let a few of them come with him, went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, little girl, I say to you, arise. So Jesus takes the little girl by the hand. Peter takes Tabitha by the hand. In Jesus' story with the little girl, the resuscitated girl, she sits up. In Tabitha's story with Peter, Tabitha sits up. In the story with the little girl and Jesus, he brings the little girl back to her mother and father and family, gives her to them. In Tabitha's story, Peter brings Tabitha back to her community. And the end result in the story of the little girl is that her parents are amazed. And in the story of Tabitha, it says the people believe follow Jesus. In fact, the, the story of the little girl, it, the, the, uh, the word used in the version I was looking at is the parents are astonished at what happened. Now, when you look at these side by side, two different stories happening years apart, it sure looks to me like Peter learned how to heal, how healing works by imitating Jesus' model of healing, doesn't it? I mean, it's pretty hard to ignore that these two passages are awfully parallel. And that's part of why I think there's ways in which the Gospels are a training manual. Like, we learn to do what Jesus did by looking and seeing, okay, hey, let's apply that to the situation we're in. It's not a far reach to think that and to believe that, and I think especially when it comes to healing, that would be helpful for us. And real quick, because we are on this story here, I do think that there is a reason that Jesus only let a few people in when he prayed for her, and Peter like clears the room. Um, and the more I learn about this and the more I read from people who actually do see folks that get healed, I think that there must be something about the environment we have when we're praying for a sick person. So, for example, if we're in a hospital and um, you're trying to pray for somebody, a sick friend, but this medical staff keeps coming in and out, interrupting to, you know, do what they need to do, which is fine and good that they're adjusting the IVs or propping and fluffing the pillows or talking about the next medical procedure, um, or maybe there's friends or parents or people in the room who are talking, but none of them are praying, and there's a lot of anxiety, understandable, no shame, there's anxiety in the room. I think it seems rare, not impossible, but it seems rare in those kinds of chaotic, unbelieving environments for healing to take place. That's just an observation. But... You know, clear the room. (laughs) When the atmosphere is full of faith and hope and love and there is a higher level of expectation, maybe when the few people that you are praying with are listening to God, waiting for the Holy Spirit to move, I think, and it seems from, again, what I've studied and listened and heard other people that have been doing this a while, that's the environment where you're more likely to see people get healed. Again, there's no formula. It doesn't always happen. It often doesn't happen. But let me say it this way. Here's kind of break it down. It's far easier to see people healed in an environment where where people have been focused on God. Maybe even that's why people get healed when they come for prayer in a church service where we've been focused on God and worshiping God and we can sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. More likely that we'll see healing there where people's hearts are open here, right? Our hearts are open to God. 
It's more likely to see it here than maybe it is in a hospital environment if everybody in the room thinks you're a weirdo for praying. So there's something to the environment that's just a notice that I wanted from those two stories where they cleared the room. And um, I'm looking at the clock here. There's a lot more to say about healing. A lot more to say. This is very Healing 101. But let me, um, let me just quickly hit three things where we'll land for today um, about healing. First is this. Uh, healing is one of the gifts of the Spirit. We've talked about that. Um, that, that healing is real, that it is for today, and that healing is possible. So even though it may not seem likely in our modern, rational culture, healing still is real. And we would be wise, I think, to open our hearts in humility, um, to be open to healing, rather than trying to explain away what we do. We explain away our disappointment or our confusion with the reasons that we don't always see everybody healed, so we'd sort of dismiss it and we just don't bother praying for healing. But it's real. It is for today. It is available. It doesn't just happen in third world countries or places where there is a different culture. It can happen here too. It can happen here as well. That's the first thing. Second thing, while there are no formulas, there are no guarantees when it comes to praying for healing, we can learn from imitating what we see Jesus, our teacher, our rabbi, do. We can do what he did. We can learn from doing what we see the disciples do in the book of Acts as well. Um, and, and here's a few just very basic healing 101 things um, that we notice from how they prayed. Right? Remember who you're praying to. Right? When we pray, we begin by remembering that we are praying to the God who is bigger and more powerful than any sickness, any disease. There is nothing more powerful than God. There's nothing that's too big for him. Nothing. So remember who we're praying to. Don't beg or negotiate. Like don't, and please, we'll talk more about this. This could be a whole sermon, but don't pray, God, if it be your will to heal the spirit. Don't, don't, just don't pray that. Like, because it is God's will to heal. It is not God's will that people get sick. And, and, and I think it's just like so many times sickness comes from the enemy. One third of the times where people were healed in scripture by Jesus praying, one third of those folks were demons being cast out. So careful attributing this to God's will. It comes from the enemy more than just that, but it comes from the enemy so often. Um, so don't, don't, God, if it's your will, don't beg, don't negotiate. Just, just pray simply. And here's the simple prayer that I've been using, and, and there's other ways to say it, because, again, there's no formulas, right? Um, when we pray simply, we use the authority of Jesus' name. We pray in Jesus' name, because his name is above every name. Uh, we command the sickness to go in Jesus' name right? That's the weird part that we don't go, what? Oftentimes they spoke to the sickness and told it to go. Let's try it, right? Try it 101, right? And then the third is keep at it. Like sometimes you pray quickly, simply, and you get no benefit or a little benefit. Even Jesus had to have more than one go at it a few times. So if he had to have a couple goes at it before like (laughs) it cleared up, maybe that's a sign to us that no, we, we pray a few times at it. We pray a few times, so you just stay at it. Um, And sometimes, by the way, like I said earlier, there is more to it. Like, 
After we've had a 101, healing 101, go at it a few times, maybe, and you really want to learn more about prayer, there are some things um, that we can learn about praying more effectively. But this healing 101 kind of prayer um, simply imitates what we see Jesus and the disciples doing and the early church in the book of Acts. We're just doing what they did. So, and The third thing is this. Um, and this is for us as a community, a family, a church family. For us here, uh, the people of Hope Covenant Church, um, those of us who are followers of Jesus here at Hope, I really would love to find ways to make it our normal practice to pray for healing, um, no matter what we see or don't see. Like, let's just... Let's just Let's go for it. Let's just pray for healing. We don't have to get big and excited and it's, we're not gonna turn into you know, some televangelist crazy light show. You know, it was not, that's not, we're not doing that. We're simply gonna pray and ask for Jesus to heal um, regardless of what we see or don't see. Many of the folks that I've um, heard speak on this, they over the years, um, sometimes they went years without seeing people healed. They kept praying for people to be healed anyway. They just kept at it. Um, they believed what scripture said. They obeyed Jesus' call to pray for the sick. And so they just kept at it faithfully and obediently. And eventually, they would see breakthrough. And wouldn't that be something for us? As followers of Jesus, who Jesus said that his followers get to do and will see greater things <laughs> than he did when he was on earth, according to him, that we will do even greater things. What if we start having more and more breakthrough when it comes to healing? See, I believe that all of this starts with, with, with taking Jesus at his word and with stepping out to follow him and just leave the results to him, right? It's not up to you. We ask, he answers. We leave the results in his hands. We just want to follow Jesus, regardless of what we see for results. Here's what I want to do. Um, as a worship team comes, I, I know that um, today I talked about listening or learning, learning to, to pray for healing by following Jesus. And it may be that there are people here in the room today that you've never made a decision to become a follower of Jesus. Um, I've got good news. You can make that decision to begin following Jesus today. You can make that decision to begin following Jesus today. Um, after we sing together, um, we're gonna have some folks up here and we would love to pray with you but we're gonna pray for two groups of people. We wanna pray for people that maybe go, you know what, I wanna start following Jesus. Will somebody pray with me to do that? But the other group that I wanna pray for um, are people that have just some need of physical healing and you just want prayer. What's so fascinating to me is that it takes humility to just ask for prayer, doesn't it? Like one dear sister of ours, she was going through some serious stuff. I was like, if I was going through that, I'd be asking for a healing prayer. <laughs> and she was like, oh, no, people have it way worse, right? Um, I'm glad she asked for a prayer. And how many of us do that, though? We just don't ask. Um, 
think there's this little verse in the Bible, there is, that says you have not because you ask not. So why wouldn't we just ask? Maybe you go, and by the way, I can relate, like, uh, There's disappointment. When we ask and ask and ask and we don't see it happen, isn't there? So I get it. But what if the next time that you ask for prayer What if that's the time where you get the breakthrough you've been looking for? So will we have the humility to just ask? I mean, that's part of why God works through other people praying for us. It requires humility. It requires the body being together. It it requires me coming to one of my brothers and sisters and going, ugh. disappointed, maybe you're hesitant and it's understandable because you've prayed before and nothing's happened, but what if this time is the time where you get that breakthrough? Friends, see it's right there in scripture. We know it's still possible. Healing is still possible, so what if we ask God to heal us? So at the end of us singing together, um, come up and we'll pray together, but then anybody who wants prayer to follow Jesus after we dismiss or wants prayer for healing, there'll be a handful of us over here that would love to pray for you. Let's let this song be an invitation for us to open ourselves to what God might have for us in this realm. is calling Have you come to the end of yourself Do you thirst for a drink from the well Jesus is calling Oh come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. 
Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy From the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling we'll Come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with The precious blood of Jesus Christ Oh, come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide 